everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Don't Give Up the Ship Podcast. This is Teaching to the Creed, Module 5.1, Influence and Honesty. Uh, learning outcome for today's topic, upon completion of this block of instruction, the student will be able to identify and understand the importance of influence and honesty with the ability to apply the appropriate techniques to given situations, both on and off duty when dealing with juniors, peers, or senior personnel as it relates to the Chief Petty Officer's Creed. The objectives for this lesson are to define and discuss influence and honesty as they relate to the CPO creed, analyze and discuss the types of influence and how it relates to chief petty officers leading and mentoring juniors, peers, and senior personnel, analyze and discuss how honesty affects an individual's ability to influence others and how it relates to chief petty officers leading and mentoring juniors, peers, and senior personnel, and discuss how influence and honesty impact the command, the mission, and the Navy and how they relate to chief petty officers. Curriculum Development Resources, Laying the Keel, May 2019, Navy Leader Development Framework, Version 3.0, May 2019, Give and Take, Why Helping Others Drives Our Success. Uh, It's a book that I will provide a link for in the description. And then Simple Psychology, link will also be in the description. Uh, So I did this one with Fleet Master Chief, uh, retired Paul Kingsbury, you've heard on prior episodes. If you want to learn more about him uh, in detail, go back to episode 37 uh, and you can check that out, an interview we did with him and uh, learn more about his background, experience and career. Uh, And with that, uh, the excerpt from the creed as it relates to influence and honesty, it is required that you be the fountain of wisdom, the ambassador of goodwill, the authority in personal relations, as well as in technical applications. Ask the chief is a household phrase in and out of the Navy. You are now the chief. The exalted position you have achieved and the word exalted is used advisedly exists because the service, character, and performance of the chiefs before you. It shall exist only as long as you and your fellow chiefs maintain these standards. And I'm pumped to get into this one. Uh, Great conversation. So here we go. So quick recap of the objective. So we're going to define and discuss influence and honesty as they relate to the creed. And I'll read that excerpt in a second. Discuss the different types of influence. We're actually going to get into the five power bases, which Paul is kind of an expert on. That's just why I picked them for this topic. And then we'll discuss how they affect a chief's ability to do their job. And then the command's mission accomplishment and how it's that's affected. And then the greater Navy vision and mission of for chiefs. Um, so we will get into that. But first, I'm going to read the excerpt from the Creed for Influence and Honesty. So it is required that you be the foundation of wisdom the ambassador of goodwill, the authority in personal relations, as well as in technical applications. Ask the chief is a household phrase in and out of the Navy. You are now the chief. The exalted position you have achieved, and the word exalted is used advisedly, exists because of the service, character, and performance of the chiefs before you. It shall exist only as long as you and your fellow chiefs maintain these standards. So... As always, like I read, <laughs> I get frustrated when I read that part because I hate that exalted line, but we'll get into exalted. That I hate it so much. So the the first question we'll get, we'll start there and then that'll get the discussion going. Um, okay. It's and I've always kind of scratched my head at this because I did. I hadn't heard the t- term ask the chiefs and maybe it was like a before my time, but I, I've never heard it outside of the Navy in my life. So like, does the yeah, phrase I don't think ask I have either. Yeah, does the phrase ask the chief still apply today? Why or why not? And I think they it, not just like the literal meaning, of course, but the the meaning that junior sailors interpret it as and, and stuff like that. So go ahead. man. Yeah, so absolutely. Um, I would say it does. And as we'll talk to me, this is a reflection. This is the mantra for your expert power base. Right. So 
if I want to influence people, and I don't, I think we're going to get into this in a little bit, but when you get into building credibility, expert power and personal power are those two strongest power bases. So this one speaks to why you should have expert power. So I always flip it and go, Hey, if you were going to go seek help from someone, right. And I've got influence, I've got power over people, but if you want them to come to you, right, you've got to demonstrate a few things. So the first thing is that expert power base that you know your stuff, right? So absolutely ask the chief still matters today. Frankly, ask the work center supervisor matters. Ask the LPO matters. Yeah, right, ask the leading right. deck seaman, right? <laughs> um, seriously, because by the time yeah, you're the chief no, petty officer, it, it's almost like, why should I ask the chief would be the thing you need to worry about, right? Rather than... I need to ask the chief, right? In today's yeah. context, and I think you and I have talked about this, and I've, I, I think I've heard you talk about it, and I have about, you know, it's a digital world now, so your sailors yep. can fact check you instantly. Yep, and they um, will. <laughs> yes. So I don't know if it's necessarily from a hey, we don't have access to resources and information anymore because they do through Google and I go on basic mentoring and all these other pages and they're asking questions. So they do have access to other resources, but there's times when the chief does and should have knowledge of situational leadership that other people don't have that experience piece that I think we undervalue. Yeah. And I, I think that, and we talked about it on the podcast I did with you for standards where it's like, it definitely still applies in that these sailors want to be led. Right. So like, even if they could just go look it up themselves. So when they look it up, when they get that tech manual open and get the answer, do they understand what it means? Do they understand the intent of it? Or do they need somebody with that experience and, and context to explain the actual intent and like why it's written down in that book in the first place? Yeah. So like that part, I think for sure applies, but then I get into the mantras like we've talked about that, too, where the quote unquote, ask the chief mantra, it almost seems more like one of those pirate sticker like (laughs) PR pieces where we're where we're showing everybody how proud we are to be chiefs. And yeah, in it coming from a good place in a vacuum, like that's not a bad thing. I have no problem with that. I'm incredibly proud to be a chief. You should see the room I'm sitting in right now. But the I think that that line among other things needs rehab like where it's like i think that it, it's like you say it and sailors cringe you know and it's like yeah why you know and then i think that needs exploration so that those types of things have an, a healthy influence on these these junior sailors yeah and you said it you know does it apply today i think it still applies mm-hmm. um for the perspective of if you want them to come ask you and seek you out as that yeah. fountain of wisdom that you mentioned right you got to know your stuff. And it's not just know your rating. You got to, obviously we call it technical and institutional expertise on your eval. By this point of being selected as a chief, you better know the key stuff in your rating. You better know about the Navy or at least, and you can't know everything, right? But you better know where to access. And this gets into information power base. Um, But it's the experience piece that I think that matters, right? That's that kind of, that gray area that the chief petty officer really brings, right? So to have gone on deployment, to have done these things, to have gone through a divorce or gone through these right. key life challenges, I think that's what it really comes down to. Yeah, for sure. I agree. The next, and we'll get into like the very next topic as we transition from the, the creed excerpt is the types of influence. So we'll just, that's probably the best place to insert. We'll start talking about that five power bases from the beginning and okay. kind of introduce all of those. 
Uh, so what does it mean to be the ambassador of goodwill? All right. So words have meaning. So anyone who reads the creed, I wonder how many of them have actually looked up the word ambassador and and thought about what does an ambassador do? So, you know, the United States has ambassadors, all countries have ambassadors, and they're people that are in a position to connect and represent an organization, a country, a position to other people, right? So yeah. that's the first thing I would offer is like, okay, the first question you got to ask now that you're chief petty officer is what are you an ambassador for and for yes. who are you an ambassador, right? Yeah. So I look at it, right? So I'm like, number one, you're an ambassador for the US Navy and you should be, right? All sailors are an ambassador for the US Navy. You should be, that should be nothing new to a Navy chief petty officer. They should get that. And if you're not an ambassador for the U.S. Navy when you're a chief, it's probably time to think about why am I in this organization, <laughs> frankly. you yeah. know. But you should get all that stuff, all that military requirements thing we require you to do, the mission set, what we're out there to do, why we do it. And even I would subdivide it, right? Um, you were probably an ambassador for the submarine force, right? SEALs are an ambassador yeah. for their force, right? So it gets down to the next level. You're number two, you're an ambassador for the chief's mess, Right. So you got to, yes. again, do you know what your, what is your message about the cheese mess? And you better have that right. And that's why these uh, discussions are so important. Right. Um, you're an ambassador for your command, right? So your commanding officer expects when you're on or off duty, you're not just representing the Navy, the cheese mess, you're representing that command and that commanding officer. So that's another thing to think about. And then finally, this is the one I think you resonate strongly. You're an ambassador for your sailors, right? Yeah. So the ambassadorship is is kind of what I would put into terms of when you lead up, down, and across, you shift that kind of ambassador role, right? So if I'm leading mm-hmm. up, right, and influencing my boss or my supervisors, then I'm the ambassador for my sailors, right? Because I'm like, hey, I need to present this kind of perspective up the chain of command, but on the other end, when you're leading down, right, and you're influencing mm-hmm. your sailors, and now you're representing Navy Corps values, Navy, and your command. And then when you're leading across, meaning when you're trying to influence your peers, that's when you get into, I think, you know, representing the chief petty officer's mess. Not that you don't represent the command and your sailors, but that's very situational and contextual, if that makes sense. Yeah, and the one, the one that resonates for me as well that I, especially given the topic and the audience that this is directed at, is being an ambassador for the mess and kind of like taking ownership of that concept because so many sailors, especially nowadays, point at the mess as the problem and they like to talk about all these things that we're screwing up and how it's making their life so difficult. And then now, as selection results come out, those same sailors are going to transition into the chief's mess. Because yeah. that's how that works. That's well, that's <laughs> that's yeah. how we populate the chief's mess. So those sailors are coming into the mess. Ne- they need to understand that as they come in, they have an, a, a deep and long lasting effect on how we're perceived and, and judged by those same group of junior sailors. So it's like yeah. the whole image of the mess, the way that we're tr- we're ta- we're interpreted, the the default level of, of trust and faith that junior sailors have in a chief when they walk in a room as an unknown, that all starts with your being a good ambassador of the chief's mess. And, and it's all the time, 100% of the time, they're going to know your chief. 
like yep. civilian clothes, like whatever, they can smell it on you. I, I'm telling you right now, I've had junior sailors call me out from across the room when I'm in street clothes. So it's just like, and I don't know what it is, but something gives us away. So it's like knowing that you're you're representing that all the time is really, really important to me because that whole image and the because then when you're interacting with those junior sailors, you're going to struggle to establish trust and influence on that group of people because of the way they interpret the larger group of the mess based on those experiences with other chiefs. So it's just like yeah. it's this never ending cycle that I don't think enough chiefs especially new ones take ownership of that early enough and that's what kind of damages our reputation but then the other thing i wrote down for the being an ambassador of goodwill piece was just like there's all this little stuff that you can do and you see some people doing it sometimes you'll see articles around the holidays where some cmc is serving food during thanksgiving or something like that stuff is meaningful is I like it, I think it probably loses a little meaning when it's clearly like a PR spot and you've got yeah. all these cameras going off and the it becomes crap like patronizing, that. right? Yeah, but like underway on nuclear power, we're there and and Cobbs and Cobb and some of the chiefs are in there serving the meal, and it's like no one knows that but the sailors that are being served and the and the chiefs, right? It's yep. like that means something to those sailors, even if they're unwilling to admit it. We had these chief Santa hats we took underway on one of my last deployments because we we're gonna be underway for the holidays and like it's just like that kind of stuff matters to them. We had this program where uh, every field day we would pick one sailor from a division and say, hey, you're going to sit in the Chiefs mess watching movies while we do your field day assignment because you did a great job this week doing something yeah. right. Like they'll get nominated by their chief and be like, hey, all right, great. That's the guy. Um, so good use of reward power. Yeah. And it, but it's just that type of stuff where it's like I can inspire trust from those sailors and kind of start creating that relationship and, and bridging that gap that may exist by doing those small things. And I like to me, that's those are like little easy things that are genuine if you do them the right way. And if you actually are genuine about them, if you're being authentic, that they go so far, like yes. they go so far with sailors uh, as far as inspiring them to follow and, and rehabbing the image that I think is pro- bruised up a little bit right now. Yeah. So I think this ambassador thing is important to hang on for a bit. Because the ambassadorship or the reputation of the chief's mess also then becomes to a sailor, right? The chief is Navy. So now you're tarnishing Navy reputation if you're not doing it. Oh, yeah. For sure. So when you think about an ambassador, think about what they're supposed to do and be, right? So number one, I think you got to represent the competence and character of that organization you're representing, right? So if I send off a diplomat to represent the United States – you want them to have character and competence, right? You want them to reflect the core values of the organization. So I think that's where the, not the whole cheese mess, but those chiefs that don't do that, that reflect on the broader cheese mess because they're such yeah. a ripe target, they mm. don't do that, right? So they either don't have the competence they need, and we hear that a lot, right? So that's one of the dissatisfactors or dissatisfiers yeah. is, hey, chief doesn't know their stuff, or I know more, and once again, over to the chief to make sure you know your stuff. So back to ask the chief or the character doesn't represent itself. Right. So expert and personal power. It's like, I know my stuff, but then the personal power piece is like, am I a person who's approachable for you to come ask for help? Or do you take your positional power 
or your pride and your hubris and you you throw these mantras not mantras but you take the attitude of well i know mm. this you you won't know it to your chief petty right and you immediately dismiss yeah. you know what i mean and you're just moving people away from you so i think that's one part of it another thing an ambassador does is you grow relationships right mm. so building relationships as you know takes time so that's the piece you talked about right yeah. you know do you take time to just sit on the mess decks or off duty and just really talk one on one with your people and and get to know them like you said in that prior episode do you dig deeper yeah. and i'm not talking about that intrusive leadership where you're after problems just talking to them i hate that term yes, <laughs> i hate that right? term and like you said not just talking to like your people the definition of your people is all sailors like yes. i don't I spent a lot of time on my duty days when I just had the bandwidth and even in just transiting the ship to do things like I'd take five minutes to talk to a sailor that I felt like needed it or that just upon happening upon them as I walk into the control room as I'm trying to find somebody else for a different thing. I like ask ET2, hey, do you know where this person is? No. Like, how are you doing? What's going on over here? Like, what are you guys doing? And just kind of like goofing with them for like two minutes and then be like, all right, man, I got to go find this guy. But like... I, always take the time to like listen let them vent and you establish this trust where they're going to share more with you they're going to kind of let you in a little bit and talk to you like you're their peer more than anything where like there's clearly a shift in trust that happens when they're they're willing to kind of like give and take with you and joke around and and i mean for lack of a better word talk crap with you you know what i mean like just kind of have those types of exchanges where you guys are goofing around a little bit. They're sharing some of their frustration. They're sharing some of their stress. Maybe they, their chief standing over there and they'd like jab him a little bit. And then you guys both get a laugh out of it. That doesn't happen unless they trust you. Like they're going to just yes, chief, no chief right away, chief. And then talk about you behind your back. If you're not taking the time to establish those relationships. So it takes time to, it's not just being available when bad things happen, right? It's, you right. know, and this is where I think they speak to, frankly, that trust piece of, and we got to be mindful of this, right? Like we would call it in the cheese creed, those privileges, right? But just because yeah. you can have a cheese mess in these quarters that are separate and distinct doesn't mean you can't go to the mess decks and connect, right? Yeah. If you draw those lines, and and I think perhaps that's a point of reflection, right? Those lines have been drawn too much and they've distinguished yeah. us too much that- you you don't That's, take the time to, to develop the relationships. Yeah. Um, so I heard this from a command mass chief once, and this was mm-hmm. uh, this was awesome, right? And I was a command mass chief, and I hadn't really thought about it. But you know, the first thing that changed with the chief uniform was just the button, right? And then right, it was like the, the cover. cover device. Yeah. yeah, and then it was the cover. But yeah. we were in utility uniform, right? So our uniform was aligned to the enlisted sailor, right? And the only thing that was different, the distinguishing feature of the uniform was the cover. Right. And then we shifted into khakis. Yeah. And then we aligned the uniform to the wardroom, yeah. right? And you've created this distinction that you've just got to, okay, I got it. There's a purpose and there's a time and a place for that, but it's not the end all be all. It's not the reason for your existence. Right. It's not your identity. It's not your character. So mm-hmm. I would say you got to grow relationships and, and get connected to your people and the relationships. I think sometimes we're, we're trumping relationships with what we would call sailor. We're all sailors, right? But the E6 and below for our relationships within the mess. And that can be counterproductive. Yeah, um, I, man. I, and maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but 
if they if Bumed lets me be a cop when I grow up, I'm gonna burn so much of that down on the on the boat they assigned me to that I like I don't know. Like I'm sure it'll be unpopular at the beginning because there's so much of that it feels like part of the institution when it's really I like to me it's just obstacles to leading sailors, but because even on submarines we don't have a, a mess to eat in, but we have they all sit at their own table. It's just like, why? Why don't I want to sit with my sailors? And I do that as a cook chief because I usually eat before the meal and it's my opportunity to check on my guys. Yeah. But it's like, why would you not want to like just sit down at a table with three other sailors and just like start establishing those relationships, like start having those conversations? Like, I don't I'm going to force that function. Like, there's not going to be a chief's table. And if I see it happening, I'm going to come give the disappointed dad talk. Yeah. Uh, and just like, no, like you guys are not going to congregate at one table. Like I want you at different tables, talking to the sailors, getting in there and and establishing those types of relationships and that rapport with them. It's yeah. only going to help. Yeah. So another thing I think that so an ambassador should bring passion, right? They should bring yeah. professionalism. So one point I missed, right? You're also an ambassador for your rating community, right? So chiefs, yeah. I mean, when you talk about being an ambassador, this is why I said, hang on this point. Um you got to th- know what you're an ambassador for, and there's several dimensions of being an ambassador, and you better have yeah. passion for all those, right? You don't yep. get to opt out of, I'm not a Navy dude or gal, right? So, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, no, and you can't be all in at in the cheese mess at the expense of your rating, right? right? Or these other things that the Navy expects you to be ambassador for. So, that's the point I would make, and then. We talked about being in person, but these days online, you're an ambassador, right? With social yeah. media presence, you can still represent yep. and, and influence uh, with that. And then I yep. think the last thing is being a team player, right? And not just in the cheese mess, but in your division, right? Like, yeah. do you consider yourself part of the team or you're that guy or gal that's just leading the team, if that makes sense? Yeah. I want to go back to that social media thing really quick where I... There's this and it's an inconvenient truth that I mean, you're always an ambassador for your country, the military, everything when you're serving. But that chief's best thing, it's like there's a corner turn when you put anchors on that everybody has slightly different expectations for you than I would have like a, a junior E4 when they're on social media. Not that they're immune to the the judgment of, hey, that reflects negatively on the Navy or the the country or whatever, but when you're a chief, it's like your leader more is expected, more is demanded. Right. So I, I have seen a lot of people that think, well, this is just like my personal space and my personal opinions. And it's look, man, that's not the world we live in where employers are now auditing your social media presence before they hire you. Like you're putting out a message that there's no disclaimer for on your Facebook saying these, uh, these are the opinions of the speaker and don't reflect the positions of the department of defense, Navy or submarine service or my rating or the chief's mess or whatever. So that's how people are going to take them. And it's like, there, there are some people doing some wild stuff on social media. Let me tell you what, like just through my presence from the podcast platform, because the only social media I'm even pseudo active on personally is Facebook. Uh, and, the reason why I haven't deleted it yet is because so many sailors keep in contact. Like I use it as a networking tool, like so many sailors that I've served with that want to reach out for help. And it happens all the time. Do so through Facebook messenger or whatever. They come find me on Facebook and send me a message. So 
but just through the presence for the podcast, like I just, there are some people out there doing some wild stuff that is not lining up with our core values. <laughs> right. So again, right. So back to the ambassador, right. You don't yeah. get to take that ambassador thing off. Right. So even yeah, I'm at the ever. Naval Institute right now. Right. So I could say like, Hey, I'm not active duty anymore. Yeah, I'm, I'm retired. But I mean, you don't think that my CEO thinks about like, if I'm right. wearing a U.S. Naval Institute shirt, doing outreach, how I reflect, it reflects on yeah. that company. And I'm telling you, I don't care if you're in the Navy or, or civilian sector, if you don't do that, you're gone, right? They're not going to tolerate because they expect you to represent that brand in a way that, and that's the point of being an ambassador, right? Yeah. It, if I was an ambassador to the United States and I was online doing BS, you're going to get canned. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. That's how it works. So you don't get a license, yeah. frankly, and that that online presence, if you're going to make it public and you're going to hang the anchor on it, which a lot of chiefs are doing, I see of, it, yeah, and I yeah. do it, right? I even have retired Fleet CM, right? Yeah. But I'm mindful of like, hey, I'm representing not just it's not just the retired fleet, right? That's my naval institute. That's my professional facing side. So, yeah, you're not going to see pictures of me doing goofy shit. Yeah. You know, what I mean, I'm not going to be yeah. trashed or anything or doing anything ridiculous. Not that I'm going to do it all my personal time anyhow, but that's right. my point is people cannot draw the line, especially when you're in active duty. Yeah. And it's just so many people think that they can like turn it off. And when they're on social media, that there's it somehow doesn't count as chief. It's like, no, you're 100 percent of the time you are representing the chief's mess, you're representing yeah. the Navy, you're representing your force, et cetera. So, yeah, like so, you can't. and we're going to get into this. Right. So, you know, yeah. as much as you're influencing people, people are looking for reasons to diminish your influence or yeah. not want to receive it. Right. So all you do is give them <laughs> power yeah. and tools to reflect and not follow you. Yeah, it is the easiest avenue for you to compromise your credibility and influence is yeah. just by doing silly things on social media. Yeah. Uh, so the next question, I'm going to I'm actually going to rephrase it slightly from what the IG says, because okay. it's a yes or no. The way it's written is a yes or no question. I'm just going to say instead of is, I'm going to say how is our ability to influence sailors as a U, as U.S. Navy chiefs mess affected by our perception of honesty? So like how how is our ability to influence sailors affected as chiefs by our perception of honesty? Right. So so I think this gets into personal power base the character piece, right? And this gets into morals and ethics and responsibilities, right? So um, I think people have to respond on or think about those kind of things, right? So um, number one, is honesty a core value for you as an individual, right? Is that an ethical value, right? So if yeah. it's not- Should be. <laughs> um, and I'll get into, right? The, this gets into right. ethical gray space, right? Because there's- Frankly, there's times when I'll be dishonest when I make an ethical choice that for a broader good, right, I'll sacrifice or I'll risk that piece. And you and I talked about this a bit too, right? Mm -hmm. But you got to know that that's not the norm, right? That's the exception, right? Absolutely. Your influence is always shaped by, again, let's go to positional power. Got it. You're the US Navy chief. Now with that position, and all these mantras, right? When sailors think Navy chief, they have an image and from the followership model 
there's an expectation to them of what a Navy chief is and should be doing, right? Mm-hmm. So that's where they're going to draw true north to your influence. And they're now watching you to that model just because you're now a Navy chief. But you you reinforce that or you depart from that based on, once again, how much do you know about the Navy you're rating, life experience, and then number two, how much do you show you care about your people through your character, right? And how much do you reflect the core values of the organization? And if you don't do those things, you're just going to lead from positional power, right? You won't get buy-in. You're going to get cynicism and they're going to be on Reddit slamming you. <laughs> hey, they slam me anyway on Reddit. That's fine. That's all right. So, I mean- <laughs> Yeah. Can you give an, just so, so everybody's clear, I, I want to make sure that it's not just an open-ended thing hanging out there. Can you give an example of an ethical gray area type situation where you would be dishonest to serve the greater good, just so that everybody understands exactly what you mean? Yeah. So I think I gave that, if I went back and did it again, I think I would, I, I had to communicate it. But so there was a time when I was a nuke you know, we were doing some maintenance. We had taken down a high pressure air compressor. Wasn't working right. We did some maintenance, you know, and part of being an electrician, you got a wire removal form. Yeah. I was there as the chief, right? It's kind of super, but there were some senior first classes there, some good second classes. They did the job, right? We packaged the thing up and we went to do the retest and the Mm -hmm. damn thing didn't restart. So I'm like, (laughs) what the hell, right? So this was a reactor startup limiting thing, right? So I'm sensing now pressure, like, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, in nuclear power, right? Like, okay, we did all this. It should have restarted. Something's yeah. off, right? Right. So I felt compelled to go, okay, let me see what's going on, right? So I'm like, hey, take the cover back off. I hung a human danger tag, right? And said, hey, EM2, go over there, friggin' cut that breaker. Because I started sensing like, cost to team is is more yeah. um, costly than cost to just taking this risk at this point. So we took the cover off. I saw that, hey, those two wires are backwards. Verified my human danger tag. We swapped the wires, put the cover back on, yeah. restarted, op check sat, right? So was I being honest? Probably not to the standard, I guess. But I felt in that case that just a longer term impact to my team and frankly impact to climate was worth me taking that quick check, taking that risk. Yeah. I had trust in my team and and doing that, right? So that that would be an example where I pushed I think I pushed aside honesty to push a gray area of leadership where I could lean in and I've once again I had visual look on that human danger tag. I felt it was okay. Yeah. Um, and people, you know, all get, again, I was in a position where if someone had come down and seen that and challenged this, I would have taken that. Right. So that right. was on me. That was the point. Right. So I was making that, I don't know if it was ethical, but I was making that decision on risk to do that. If that makes sense. Right. And you kind of mentioned when we talked about it, that you, if you had to go back in time, knowing what you know now, you probably wouldn't have done that again because yep. the situation didn't necessarily dictate that much risk yeah. being incurred. Well, I talked yeah. to the guys but, afterwards, right? And I was like, hey, I made them look afterward and go, hey, that was a one-off. But I'll tell you, right? So I got a lot of buy-in from that, not because I was yeah. a rule breaker. They understood as adults that we took risks. They knew the standard, right? But mm-hmm. I was in a position as the leader yeah. to, 
I got it. There's black and white and there's red lines yeah. and stuff. But yeah. we kind of made that decision together as a team and we all understood our roles with it. Right. And because of that, it was almost a very bonding experience over that, right? Yeah. Um, I, that they saw Chief was willing to cut through the BS. Mm-hmm. We can handle that and go. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting. Yeah. I, I had a similar experience with a sailor that he was one of my reclamation projects that turned into an absolute monster. And right towards the end of his tour and towards the end of my tour uh, on the submarine we're on together, he started experiencing some marriage issues, um, which they kind of it was always a volatile relationship, but it got real bad towards the end. And yeah, he had had ARIs in the past. And so he was last chanced to me. I mean, he sh- probably shouldn't by the book have even gotten this third chance. But the Commodore at the squadron he was at just had a moment where he was like, he saw something in him and said to the squadron chief, like, hey, if you can find a boat for this kid, I'll third chance him to that guy and we'll try to salvage this kid. And so my buddy called me and I was like, send him down. Like, yeah, yes. And he ended up being amazing. He just integrated in the division. Everybody loved him. He's a great kid. He got mapped like he was he was a beast. And but then he this happened and this is kind of was his story all the time was he was a great worker and he performed really well and everybody loved him at work and then his personal life would explode. So he showed up to work drunk one day like he came in and uh, my my LPO came to me. He's like, hey, you know, he's here and he smells like booze and he was already late and we were looking for him. So yeah. I'm like, where is he? He's like, I put him in the storeroom. I wanted you to be able to talk to him first. And I was like. All right. And so I went in there and I'm like, what's going on, man? And he starts to tell me what's going on and he's crying and there's all this stuff. And it's just like in that moment, I'm like, okay, what's the book answer? The book answer is I drop an anvil on this kid's head and he goes to mass and then all the things. Right. Because I could smell the booze on. Yeah. But then I'm like, what does that accomplish? Like, am I fixing anything? Yeah. Like, this isn't something he would do if he didn't have the stressor in his life. And what, how does that then affect my junior sailors trusting me? Are they ever going to tell me anything ever again? Like nothing bad happened. He didn't drive. He didn't do like he just he was drinking and then somebody went and picked him up and brought him to the boat. So now he's safe. He's with me. I can fix this. So then we sat there and had a conversation. And I was like, look, man, sit in here, drink water. Like I need you to get this out of your system and then we'll go from there. And he ate lunch and we kind of moved down with life and then went down the road of, I mean, I, uh, I went down this road of like, I was going to court with him. I was going to his house to the, with the, the sheriff to get his stuff out of his house without there being a conflict. I was doing all those things. And it's like, did I have to do that? No. Is it right. the right answer? Yes. And I was, I operating in an ethical gray area where I probably should have went and told my cob and chain of command that this guy who had had a history of ARIs had shown up drunk Maybe, but I decided that it was the right move to take care of this kid instead of maliciously comply to whatever standard would, yeah, like whatever standard in a book you're going to point at and say that, oh, well, he should have been held accountable to this. Like, you know how much I would have burned down by doing that? This kid, to me, there was no risk of this kid doing anything stupid so long as he was well taken care of. And I was like, if I had to bring him home and make him sleep on my couch, that was going to happen. So I, that's how I chose to deal with it. And I'm sure there could be debate there about whether I did the right thing, but yeah. So it's, I mean, we can get into the loyalty, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Conflicts that we'll all deal with and any leader is going to deal with. But 
when it gets into honesty, right? I was on, even though I was breaking a rule and a regulation, yeah. I, my team knew I was straight up with them, right? And then, yeah, if I was caught, I would have been honest. I would have dimed out my team. I would have said, no, I made that decision. So from the perspective of leading down, my sailors saw, and then afterwards I'm like, hey, we we won't do that again, right? Right. Um, But that was honesty, right? So I think from day to day, they see the say-do gaps, right? So if you're going to – I think it gets more into stuff like if you're going to talk – if you're going to try to be an ambassador and say all the Navy speak and then they see you out doing different things. Right. and you don't own them and you're not authentic or if you're going to depart the pattern, you know what I mean, of rules and regulations and expectations, you're very authentic. You explain why you're doing it. Yeah. And you own it. Yep. And it's going to be me making the decisions like you did where the junior sailors aren't going to be affected if something goes horribly wrong. That's me. Like I'm going to own that. And the same thing, like I, it was kind of like my guys knew that, I'm not going to make a habit out of this. If you show up to work drunk and the, yeah. the situation's different and it's just because you partied too hard last night and made bad decisions. That does, this doesn't mean I'm not going to hold you accountable. This means yeah. that this circumstance is different. And if you showed up to work smelling like booze, because you found out your spouse was cheating on you, I'm that's a slightly different scenario to me. Absolutely. Uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to deal with it differently. Yeah. So the next the next question, I'm uh, this is another one I'm going to slightly rephrase, but how does influence and honesty affect good order and discipline? And then how do they affect the command's ability to meet the mission? So I think it reflects itself the most, right? When there's a lack of honesty and there's these say-do gaps, it really reflects itself in climate. But culture plays out in that too, right? So culture is going to be what people do around here. Climate yeah. is how people feel to be here. Mm-hmm. So and remember, so this kind of this instructor guy cracks me up, just like kind of influence. And we're going to talk about that a little more, but yeah, um, I'll just get into honesty, right? And that gets into not just individual reputation as a chief with honesty, because if you're not, that's going to get out and about, right? You know mm-hmm. that we did it yeah. as young sailors, right? If yep. you saw dishonest leaders, you're yeah. talking them, oh, um, yeah. and and you're not buying in, right? You're just like, okay, right. so now you're just there because you're told to be. So, you know, from the powered influence model I follow, right, you're not going to get me committed. You're going to get at best compliance, right? So I'm just going to come there, do what you tell me to do because you're telling me to do it. Yeah. But I'm not going to buy in. You're not going to get a spree decor out of me. Yeah. You're not going to get high levels of climate. You're only going to get as much compliance as is required for me to go on yes. liberty at the end of the day. So it's and like- you may <laughs> and you may develop resistance, right? Or you yeah. are developing resistance. It might not be on eventually the top, again, for sure. Yeah. So Reddit is a modern day what we would have called dick books in the time, right? So we had the yeah. little green log books and we were writing all this stuff and drawing these cartoons and yeah. that was old school Reddit, right? But they're yeah. venting that stuff among themselves and it just spreads as a reflection on, frankly, your ambassadorship as a chief's mess and as a Navy chief, right? So yeah. it reflects on the US Navy, it reflects on the chief's mess, it reflects on your command. Competence gets more into rating, right? Like if you don't know your stuff, then that's going to reflect on on your rating as an ambassador for your rating. But uh, I think it's pretty plain to say a dishonest mess or a dishonest person is going to affect command climate in a bad way. Yeah. And then obviously degrade your ability to complete. The yeah. Mission. Cause then you're going to lean on pers- on positional power Yep, and that's like, just do it. And then as we'll talk about, 
Yeah. You have nine influence tactics you can select as a leader, but all those influence tactics are enabled by a one or more power bases, right? So if you have low character and your personal power base, and it's not just what you think it is, right? It's what your people perceive it to be. So if your people perceive you have low character and competence, then your ver- yeah. hey, that a la carte menu of influence tactics gets reduced. Yep. And now you're either leading with legitimizing tactics, which is I, yeah. do it because I told you, because I'm the chief or the procedure says, or you're going to lean towards pressure. Right. Yeah. And start threatening people when you don't need to. And guess what? <laughs> now you're going to get yourself in a bad spot. Um, not only are they not buying and following you, but now they start lighting you up with IG complaints. Your name gets brought out on the cl- command climate survey. It all comes back when you do that. So that's how that plays out. Yeah. I, the understanding that, like, well, I have high character and competence. It's like, yeah, but. If your sailors don't think you have high character, then you don't effectively like if you're if the group of people you're charged with leading don't think that you are an expert or don't think that you're trustworthy, then you're not like in the eyes of those people. You're you need like you need to fix that because they're behaving as if you're not an expert. So all of the expert things you're saying, even if they're correct, they don't trust for whatever reason. And you need to fix that perception because they're going to function as if you're an idiot. And it's yes. like, that's just the world you live in, man. So you don't you yep. stop arguing and figure out what you need to do to address that problem. Yeah. And what happens is, so I think people that end up in that space, they start to sense this because the sailors are reflecting that attitude back on you, right? So they yeah. start to sense it. And I think it makes them defensive. And then they shift mm-hmm. into these very defensive mechanisms. And I'm telling you, when you're in a defensive position, you're going to rely on these more pressure-based and these legitimate type of influence tactics, right? Shut yeah. up and do it. Yep. I'm the chief. Who are you to challenge me? Yeah. Or you start threatening them. And, and, and that never goes of, well. <laughs> no, it, it's not going to go well. Yeah. You're only going to get away with that once in a while. And it's like the, the times that it's actually going to work are generally with sailors that you spent a long time using all the other influence tactics to build trust and influence. It's just, yeah. And there's a time and a place to do that. Don't get me wrong. There's a time and a place to just frankly, during emergency situations or crisis, not a lot of time to use other, you know, I I might use some inspirational appeals kind of into the process, but initially we're into training kicks in. We all take positional roles and we execute, right? So that's when that happens, but not day to day, not in that situational context. Right. All right. So the next question is, how do you influence uh, or how do chiefs influence as leaders? And so this is where I I want you to start with the five power bases, because I feel like every type of influence listed on the slides are subcategories of and I'll I'll read those definitions when you're done. But I I, I want I want to cover that. But I want to start with the power bases, because I think it'll give everybody a way better understanding. So over time, the narrative and how I present this evolves. So I kind of put it this way, right? So if I'm a plumber or an electrician, ET, it doesn't matter what I am, right? I have tools of the trade, right? So I have Mm -hmm. a multimeter, I have tools, I have wrenches, I have all these things, right? That I can use, right? So as a leader, you have tools too. So they are called your power bases. You've referenced five. I talk in the Chief Petty Officer's Guide and others eight power bases, right? But so you have positional power, right? So you're given through that 
you have a tool called your position, right? That gives you not just responsibility, but it gives you authority, right? That's the biggest tool it gives you. And authority gives you a couple things. It gives you decision-making power, right? It gives you legitimacy to issue orders and have those orders complied with. Uh, and it also gives you access to other people and other influencers who can help you do your job and meet your responsibilities. So does that make sense? Yeah. So that's what that's what positional power gives you, right? So mm-hmm. any leader should understand. And it gives you other things, right? It can give you other power bases we'll talk about, right? It may – with your position right. may come more reward power, may come more coercive power, probably got more access to information for your information power base and things like that. So okay. uh, second power base, personal power. So this isn't anything you're necessarily – you can reach and get, right? This is how your character has been shaped over your life, right? This gets into your moral foundation. This gets into your ethical foundation. And this gets into how you present yourself as a person, right? So are you a person who's approachable? Are you fair? Do you make yourself available? Are you even keeled, right? Yeah. Are you that ambassador for all those things we talked about before? So that's your personal power base that – you invest in, right? Um, mm-hmm. And you got to invest in it with not all of us grew up with good role models, right? And maybe you come in and your personal power base is skewed, but hopefully over the course of a Navy career, by the time you're a chief petty officer, you've got a solid value and belief system, your ethics are, are shaped right, and you can figure out how to make decisions in a good way. We're all human though. I'm telling you, every chief petty officer has something that they're vulnerable to. And we can talk that later. Third one, expert power, right? So we talked about this. This is again, so how do I use what I know about my profession, my trade, my craft, about the Navy, about life experience to show that I know, and I'm a person who knows what they're talking about, right? And how can I leverage that information to, to apply towards influence tactics? Another one is information power. So information power used to be lumped in with extra power. Now it's considered separate. So that might be why I start to break into eight. But information is, you know, how do I get access to information? And what does information do? It enables you to make decisions. But it also enables you to use that information in your influence tactics that we'll talk about. And I use a variety, right? I can withhold information. I can manipulate information or I can put it out to to do those things, right? But it's also, what do you know about your people? So back to your dig deeper, if you take time to get to know your people and what influences them and their backgrounds and stuff, right? It can help you better select influence tactics towards them, but it can also help you make decisions about their best interests. So that's how you use information power. You got some connection power. So this is one that's usually not really written, I I think, in those top five. But how do I use my relationships with other people? And this is big in the cheese mess, right? So- when you get into initiation season and stuff, I'm not a big fan of like, I'm not teaching you how to be a leader. At this point, you have you should know how to use power and influence and you have managerial skills. What I'm doing is I'm, I'm socializing you into this new network and I'm introducing you to your connection power base that you can use to help do your job day to day better. So, yeah. but you're given that opportunity, but you got to earn it. Right. So that's why through the season, we talk about this bank account. Hey, yeah. you're going to have to withdraw, but you better be putting it into it. And I think that's a different topic, but that's connection power, right? How do I use relationships with other people to get access to resources, information, 
and get the help I need when either I don't have the managerial resources I need to do what I need to do or when my influence tactics aren't working and I need people to help me, right? That's what that's about. Then you get into reward power. So positionally, you're probably given a lot of opportunity to give rewards. I did an episode actually with uh, Phil Null, Coast Guard Chief, who does a podcast. You know, Phil, we dove specifically into how to use reward power, everything from praise all the way up to formal awards to help. You know, these are power bases you can go to that enable influence tactics that you can use with others. You don't rely solely on those, but they're there. And then you got coercive power. So your coercive power obviously is how you can use pressure, right? And tools to impose cost on people. So if rewards are usually things I give to people um, that they want, coercive power is my ability to take those away, right? Or threaten people. And you've got to know those things. And I'm like I said, I'm not going to get deep into that one right now, but that's that base. And then another one is ecological power, right? So how do I have influence on the environment? And I just did a podcast with John Cordell on this, right? So mm-hmm. you have influence on birthing compartments, right? And the quality and quantity of sleep of your people, right? So that is, um, that's an ecological power base uh, tool. You have some cases, some people have access to budget and they control the budget. That's an ecological yeah. power tool. Liberty risk program, right? My ability to restrict where you come and go is an e- ecological power tool. And then you see this a lot in risk management, right? Barriers, signs, chains, mm-hmm. ATFP, right? With guards and gates, that's all ecological power where you put physical things to prevent people or to make them go in a certain place that you want them to go. So those are those power bases. Those are your tools. But the next thing you got to do is you can have all the tools you want. You got to use them, right? So if I have a hammer, I can use a hammer for different things, right? So I can hammer with a hammer. I can pry with a hammer, right? And then I I can do other things with a hammer too. Um, So these are your influence tactics, right? Is how you apply the tool matters, so I can have high expert power. I can have high personal power. And and we don't have time to go through all the power bases or the influence tactics, but things like you know rational persuasion, right? Using facts and logic to convince people, persuade them to do something, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. you can see like if you don't have, number one, you got to have position power to get in front of the group to apply it. And then if you don't have expert power and you try to convince people, hey, here's how you do this with rational persuasion, not going to go well if you don't know your shit, right? That influence tactic won't work. Coalition tactics, right? This is where you get with groups of people. So if I don't have a strong connection power base, a coalition tactic won't work. I get down lower on the scale, right? If I'm going to go to, like I said, legitimizing tactic or a pressure tactic, if I don't know my course of power tools, when I need to use those, which is not the norm, I may not select those or I might not go to those, right? So you got to know, you got to have the power basis to support the influence tactics. And then finally, you deliver them, right? So the muscle that you delivered the influence tactics with. So if I'm going to wield my hammer, I've got to have muscle and I've got to have dexterity to deliver it. Those are your communication tools, right? So either using writing, using your oral speaking skills, your personal presence, social media, all those kind of things, your listening skills, those things are 
that's your body's work to apply those influence tactics. So that's how I think it comes across. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think explaining all those things, it's like a new leader could get excited and be like, oh, okay, now I understand I have all these influence tactics. I'm going to start leveraging them. And it's like, it's, it's like, yes, but which ones do you have right now? Like, which right. ones are you good at? Because you yep. might not be great at standing in front of a group, but you, you're great at communicating through spoken word, right? You need to yeah. find your strengths and leverage those and then build up the weaknesses so that those power bases are available to you at some point. Yeah. So you're developing the power bases, right? So the power bases are like you own those, right? So I want yeah. people to think like if you're carrying your, we always say leadership toolkit. Yeah. No yeah. one explains what the hell they mean, right? So this is my <laughs> point, right? These uh, are your leadership toolkit, these eight yeah. power bases, right? You own them. Sometimes they're given to you, but let's go to reward power, right? Like I don't have to give you authority to give praise, right? So right. in your reward power toolkit, you have the ability to give your people praise. Now over to you, if you're not comfortable or you don't, feel comfortable giving praise, then you're, you're reducing the options you have available to wield influence. Right. So, you know, your expert power base continues to be developed. So this whole ask the chief thing, right. Okay. I got it. Yeah. Ask the chief, but that doesn't get you off. Once you make, you get selected to chief, you still own that power base and there's more stuff for you to learn over your career and not just stuff to learn. But as we talked about, Things are changing. You got to stay up to date and relevant on what's going on or you will not be relevant in that power base. Right. And then influence tactics, right? You got to know yourself, right? So one of them is inspirational appeals, right? Not everyone's good at getting up. Yeah. Rick West was really good about he could get into theater and make that happen, right? He had that personality, had the charisma, right? That's part of that personal power base. He had... You know, he really cared and he was authentic and came through and he did the hoo thing. Yeah. Not everyone can do that. As a fleet mass chief, I, I didn't do that. I was more, it's not that I didn't care about people, but I connected a little differently, right? I was more right. methodical. I was more, I guess the nuke part of me was coming out, but yeah. where I did connect what you can tell that my passion comes out, my give a shit, my inspirational appeal comes out in a slightly different way. Right. Yeah. This comes down to knowing yourself and how you're going to apply those tactics. I think you've already done it with what you just explained. But the next question is, uh, can anyone provide an example of one as far as like how I'm going to influence as a leader? And for me, it's like the I think the most useful one to me, because I think it, it affects every other one significantly if it's not well developed and well utilized is yep. like the personal power that you were talking about where if you're not using your personality or like demonstrating your character to build trust as a human being, because I, I talk about a lot, like humanizing chiefs is, is a big deal to me where it's like, you're not some entity. You're not a superhero. When you pull khakis on, you're just a guy doing a job. So or a girl, you're per- a person doing a job, right? So it's like they you need to humanize yourself in those relationships and in those conversations or nothing that comes across as authentic and they're not going to trust you. And then it, everything else is for not where it's like you're you're going to end up in a place where you're stuck with legitimate, coercive, like those types of, of powers and influence tactics. And that, like you mentioned earlier, it's only going to get you so far for so long and it's yeah. not very far. <laughs> and it's, so right. it's just like you're going to end up with a place, even if you're showering them with liberty, you're trying to fix the problem by putting 
oh, we're going to go home at 1300 and sh- shoot the NAM cannon every Friday. It's like it doesn't matter because people want you, their leaderships to be experts. They want to work hard. They want to be challenged. They want to be successful. And they're not going to be any of those things if they don't trust you and don't feel like you're authentic as a human yeah. being. So it's the so the. I don't know if it's so the power bases do it a bit, but it's not the mm. power bases in action are the influence tactics, right? Right. And the communication right. skills. So I think it comes down to um, so so I've put it this way, right? So when you if I was guest speaking, right, I walk into a theater, I walk into a room, I've got them initially because I was a flea mash chief or command right. mash chief or chief petty officer, right? So they're right. gonna give me, and this is why it's so important that. Uh, that we get this trust thing down, right? Because we don't want it to get into a point where a chief petty officer walks in a room and the default is like well, high rolling jacked and, up yeah. cheap. Yeah. Right. Right. That's yeah. what you risk. Right. So you want to yeah. be able to walk in the room with some amount of established credibility yeah. that the position and the legacy of being a chief petty officer brings, right. That's what's at risk here. Right. If people don't get that before I even start to open my mouth. Right. So the first thing they look at is your physical presence. Mm-hmm. And that that's a part of your personal power base, right? Because do I invest in my own personal well-being and my my fitness level, right? How I wear my uniform, all those things. So they're making a judgment right away. Yep. And then Paul gets up there and Paul starts to speak. So now the next assessment is, uh, okay, does this guy or gal speak intelligently, right? Do they, they're starting to compare, right? The say, the expectation of a flea mash chief or chief petty officer with the delivery, right? So mm-hmm. There's an expectation of, I think, of a fleet mass chief in the modern Navy of how they should speak and present themselves, right? So if I don't do that well and my speaking skills are off, bam, they're starting to now take points away from my personal power base, right? And now my influence tactic of using rational persuasion or an influence, you know, tactic like um, inspirational appeal starts to go away. It It becomes less effective, right? So this is how it all plays in. But there's another point that, and I don't know how much they teach this in the leadership courses. I know they touch on the Senior Enlisted Academy, but people got to get down situational leadership theory, right? So so they asked, it's not really, hey, can you give an example of power base you use? It's actually, can you give examples of how you use influence tactics for a given situation? So if you haven't looked at that model, right, depending on the maturity and willingness of your audience, you either go to directing approach, you go to a coaching approach, a supporting approach, or a delegating approach. Yeah. So a directing approach, right? If I have a new team that you saw this, right? You got a group of young CSs yeah. new to the boat, or you're the new chief and you see an underperforming team, you're not going to pull a delegating style, right? You're not going to use right. inspiration. You you will use some inspirational appeals, but they're going to be different, right? You're going to be engaged yeah. in a lot of directing, a lot of frankly, rational persuasion, which is training and education. Like we talked about in our episode, right? Hey, come look at me do this. Here's why. That's that modeling perspective, right? At the same time, now you bring in an inspirational appeal. Like, hey, Mm -hmm. you guys are good, right? I know you can do this. You guys are motivated. You know, you got great attitudes, right? So you encourage them with those. Right. Um, Perhaps you find a younger leader to lead that group. So you do an ingratiating tactic, which is, hey, I see a lot of potential in you. I'm going to put you in charge of the galley. I've explained what they need to do. Do you think you can do this? These are those kind of things you do in a directing approach. It doesn't mean you go right away to, you guys are all AFU. You know what yeah. I mean? I'm frigging <laughs> beatings will continue until morale improves, right? right. So these pressure-based legitimizing tactics. But you're probably going to deal with some legitimating tactics like, hey, 
until you show me you can do this, we're doing it the way I want to do it because I'm the chief and I said so, right? So that's how it plays out. But as they mature and they understand it, then you shift towards supporting them. Hey, yeah, you know how to achieve the standard. Do you have everything you need to get it, right? And then you start blending coaching into it. And then eventually you get to a point to where you guys got this. You guys are the shit. You guys go out and do this. And you're using reward power, right? And you're using all these positive forms and they, and you're really delegating, right? And then you can focus on other stuff. So I think that's how it comes together. Yeah, I agree. So they have 10 types of influence listed. I'm going to read them really quick and then start okay. defining defining them. Uh, the first few questions for those types of influence, I think we've already answered. It's the exact same question asked above. Can influence support or conflict with good or discipline? And then what types do you utilize? Those questions were just asked. So we'll move on to the third question when I get done with the definitions. But the types of influence listed are compliance, identification, internalization, conformity, minority influence, self-fulfilling prophecy, reactance, obedience, persuasion, and psychological manipulation. Uh, so the definitions, compliance going along with explicit requests made by others, identification assimilates an aspect, property or attribute of the model that other provides, internalization, acceptance of a set of norms established by people or groups, conformity, change in behavior, belief or thinking to align with those of others or with normative standards. Minority influence, when a majority is influenced to accept the beliefs or behaviors of a minority. Self-fulfilling prophecy, a prediction that directly or indirectly causes itself to become true due to positive feedback between belief and behavior. Reactance, the adoption of a view contrary to the view that a person is being pressured to accept. Obedience, giving into the commands of an authority. Persuasion, the process of guiding oneself or another toward the adoption of an attitude by rational or symbolic means. And psychological manipulation aims to change the behavior or perception of others through abusive, deceptive, or underhanded tactics. So here's here's where I differ from that because I don't know where that came from. Um, I don't either. And like I said, I this is where, you know, in the Cutlass podcast, I blend the kind of social science with kind of the th- stuff we're talking Hey. We, we can talk all these definitions, but here's how they – people want to know how they play out. So I right. use these. Mm-hmm. I use number one, rational persuasion like we talked about, right? Using yeah. logical arc outcomes, explaining the why behind a decision. The second one would be inspirational appeals, right? Using inspirational stories, see stories, yeah. championing lofty yep. goals, engaging people's sense of pride and ownership to achieve outcomes. You're using your – this is where you're using like your personal power, you're using your, you know, you go back to heritage and try to connect them to those kind of stories and you try to connect past to present, I think, to day to day. Consultation is another one, right? So you seek mm-hmm. suggestion and input from the group to develop yeah. ownership yes. and buy in, right? Yes. Um, and again, you got to know the maturity and willingness of the audience, right? So if, if you haven't taken the time to develop knowledge and or you don't have a team that's experienced, you're not going to use that tactic. But that doesn't mean this is one of the, the points that the that sales are frustrated, right? It doesn't mean you shut me down automatically just because I'm not a chief petty officer, right? Yeah. So you should be using consultation. You got ingratiation. That's another one I talk about, right? So how do you yeah. use praise and compliments to shape behavior? And that's what I, I told you about, right? Like, hey, maybe you see potential in a sailor to do right, something, right. but they're hesitant, they don't have self-confidence. So you come in and you're like, you prompt, you know, not prompt, but you 
hey, you've got the ability to do this. I see knowledge, skills, and abilities in you, and we need those to do the job. Yeah. Uh, you got exchange tactics, right? So this is these are those this for that, right? So this is where yeah. it's like, hey, you got this. I need that, right? Hey, if you do this for me today, I'll do that for you tomorrow. Right. Um, personal appeals. This is when you personally appeal to someone's loyalty. But again, you got to establish that. That's my point about you can't appeal to a sailor's sense of loyalty if you haven't developed a relationship with them, right? Right, right. Um, and we see this in the Chiefs mess too, right? When you get to know each other, and that's why in the Chiefs guide I talked about you got to invest time in these relationships, right? It's it's just not like, well, I don't like that Chief, so I don't talk to him. That's not how it goes, right? Yeah. You still got to have some relationship and and try to work at this. Um, then you can do collaboration and coalition. I talked about those, right? When you get together as a group, so. Um, under a pressure-based tactic, right? So if I have a struggling sailor, a resistant sailor, or a sailor that's struggling with discipline, mm-hmm. we know that, hey, if if your efforts as an individual chief or your divisional efforts to influence them aren't working, you can do use things like discipline review board, right? Bring them in the chief's right. mess. And now we're going to use, that's more of a coalition tactic, right? So if one chief can't get your attention, maybe four or five can. And then I talked the last two, legitimating tactics. That's when you just got to rely on the, you know, hey, the instruction says, or I'm a chief petty officer, so do it, right? So you rely on the authority inherent in your position. And the last one is pressure tactic, right? So there's times when you're going to have to demand, threaten, or be persistent and apply pressure to get done what you need to get done. But those last two, uh, those should be the last ones you work towards, right? Right, So these other ones you've mentioned, I'm not, I I get them. I could talk to each one, but I'm not familiar with them in in the context they're being applied to in this uh, course. Yeah, I I don't know. I I feel like it's it just feels like disheveled in a way where it's like just a bunch of stuff thrown up there. Where I feel like they're all all of these are traits of what we've already talked about. I think, and yeah, I, I don't really feel the need to dive deep into any of them. No, they won't. Um, uh, they're not talking me off my model. <laughs> yeah. So the <laughs> the next question is, is I mean, it's an, of course, answer, but is it wise to learn to use different types based on the various situations chiefs encounter? Of course it is. That's yeah, a third we just grade, talked about that. A third grade question for a college level group. Um, yes. So part of and, this, though, is so back to my point about situational leadership. Right. So mm-hmm. under the those influence tactics that I listed out, right, those nine tactics, yeah. they align with certain situational leadership approaches right so right. like i said if i'm going to de- be delegating i'm going to i'm going to lean on different influence tactics right i'm right. really going to go to rational persuasion but i'm going to explain the why hey here's what we need to do you guys are awesome you can do it that's the inspirational appeal and then you're going to get into consultation like hey before we solve this what do you guys want to do how do you guys want to handle this problem right yeah um you're going to use those kind of more positive based empowering type of influence tactics if i'm directing you know, I mean, I might be down in legitimating and pressure, right. depending on the context, if that makes sense. So, yeah, for sure. Again, I think it's, I think, yeah, all those things matter, but I think people really got to, re- you mentioned it earlier, people have a tendency, depending on the strength of their power bases, I think to shift to certain, they're very comfortable using certain influence tactics, yeah. right? Or they've watched people do them and they have mm-hmm. a misplaced sense of that's how you do it. Right. Right. Yeah. This is um, how this organization does it. And that's what, yeah, that's what irks me. About. Like it effectively, it's like what people like to call their leadership style. It's like you're just leaning on the crutch of a particular type of influence and those tactics associated with it that you feel like works or what's most comfortable for you. 
based on your personality and your context and your your experience coming up through the ranks but it's like the, no like everything is situational depending on like what you're doing how you're doing it what's the end goal what are the people's needs to to be yes. motivated to do the thing as you go through like every single sailor is different every single one of them you're going to need to apply a different power based and influence tactic in order to get them to do the thing you want them to do to get them to respond yeah. to your leadership so it's like to sit here and say like I have one style or I'm just going to use one power base and an influence tactic to do the thing because that's the one that works. It's like, that's just idiotic. And I I fight against that perception a lot where, Oh, well my leadership style is this. It's like, no, it's not. That's just like, it's what you're most comfortable with, but it doesn't always work. So you should be exploring other options. Yeah. So at the point of chief petty officer, and I always go back, right. The way I write the petty officer guy is even at a, if you're a leading deck seaman or if you're a your second class petty also works in a supervisor you got to know all these you got to be able to go through yeah. them all right so i got to right. be able to can you you know depending on you might find your role as a you know work center supervisor and you got a great team of maintenance techs and you're in a delegating type of leadership and then you're going to lead a hose team of, of new sailors right so you're going to sh- you got to be able to shift into directing and know how to use all those influence tactics but the crazy thing is it's not even crazy the reality is if you select the wrong influence tactics consistently and you misapply them to the situation, this is where you're going to lose your people, right? You're going to not select the right influence tactics because those have an outcome. And like I said, people will listen to you, right? Um, regardless, but uh, you're not going to get the buy-in that you need to if you misapply these. Yeah, no, I agree. And we're going to touch on that here in a second. So the the next question, and I, I don't even... It's a weird question, but basically it says, does the chief have the required professional and institutional knowledge to support the phrase as the chief? I don't even know what that means. Like, well, it depends I, on the chief, right? Right. I mean, it's exactly <laughs> what I said. I'm like, who, what are we talking about? Are we talking about the chief as the organization, like as the mess as a whole? Are we talking about the chiefs in that specific room? Like I, this is really weirdly worded. Yeah. So. So again, right, there's a yeah. there should be an expectation, right? If we're gonna throw all the mantras around, right. ask the chief, and we're gonna run around with the t shirts that say yeah. all this stuff about how great chiefs are, that's the can do, but what is it that you do do, right? Um, right. and you know that, right? It's up to each individual mm-hmm. chief to determine, right? It's the uniform yeah. doesn't make you the chief, the leader, right? You're a good leader despite being a chief. So a good leader should invest again you've got to continually invest and evaluate the state of your power bases and be very honest with yourself and know when you're weak at expert power you can easily i'm telling you 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 make chief you take a division chief role or you make command mass chief go through the list of power bases right if you just logically said okay do i have all the information i need where can i get ooh where do i have new sources of information yeah. to help my team achieve their goals right hey what, what new reward power do I have? Or I'm a command master for Cobb. What reward power does my commanding officer have that I can help him shape, right? Because in some cases, you're helping an officer use wield their power and influence too, right? right? So it's not just your own power and influence in the cheese mess. You got to know what the boss you work for has course of power, right? So now your CO has NJP authority, right? So as a senior enlisted guy, you better understand the full extent of how that should be worked, it's less about what you think should happen and more about is 
is coercive power at this command being used in a fair and just way. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, for sure. Like I, I look at it like the, the ask the chief thing, like, and I, this, this training is structured in a way that it leans on a lot of the mantras. And I feel like there's almost this implication that we're all just supposed to collectively know exactly what they mean by that. Yep. Uh, and I feel like the, none of us really do. They're just, it's just this thing we say, like it's not defined anywhere. So when I read that question, I think more about the, the institution and do we collectively have the required professional and institutional institutional knowledge to support the phrase? I, I hope so. And I hope that we're continually pursuing it, but I find that increasingly there's a lot of overwhelmed chiefs that don't have the time to spend expanding beyond their work center and the maintenance they have to get done and the, the individual things that they have that are on fire. So it's like, yeah, I hope that. And the, yeah. And there's, there's context to ask the chief, right? So do you want every sailor coming to ask you about every single problem? No, I want, right, of course I want so. them to ask the work center supervisor. I want them to ask the leading deck seaman. I want them to ask the platoon leader. Right. Um, so there's a time and a place when those, and back to influence targets, right? So as a chief petty officer, it's been my belief, right? That you lead through others now, right? You lead through work center supervisors, you lead through LPOs, you lead through a division officer, supply petty officer, all these key leaders, training petty officer. So those are the people that should come ask the chief, right? When they're at resource constraints, right? And they've tried to use all their influence and power to their full extent, and they can't get the results they need to meet mission. That's when you come ask the chief. This isn't like, yeah. well, every sailor has an issue, so we bypass right. lower level leaders to ask right. the chief. There's a context to it. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. The last question is even more painful than the one we just went over. So <laughs> just because I don't it, like it's worded in a way where I have no idea what they're asking except for. So I'm, I'm literally I'm just going to read the first part of it because that's a good question. So what is the impact of providing bad guidance? To who? I guess I mean to obviously uh, junior to sailors sport. as right. it, so, like yeah. <laughs> so for me, I look at it different, right? So as command mass chief, I'm like my guidance mm-hmm. could be to a commanding officer, right? Right. right. And so, I, I mean, I guess I guess you could be you could say it, it could travel in all directions because every yeah. chief could be in the position where they're briefing the boss. So yep. yeah, I mean, um, so guide a couple things, right? So we'll go back. I think it gets into. You know, again, expert and per- a lot of this is in your expert and personal power base realm that we've right. talked about today, right? Even though we've talked about all those power bases. So, number one, when you give bad guidance, right, your power bases, both those power bases take a hit. So, if it's just bad technical guidance and bad know how on a technical matter that you should know, and when they came to ask the chief when they mm-hmm. needed to, and you gave bad guidance that ended up in a bad outcome. And I think it depends on the severity of the outcome, right? So yeah. um, it could be just like an all shucks, but it could be something that you gave guidance and got someone killed, yeah. right? Obviously, now your professional reputation is shot. You're going to be held accountable probably in some way that impacts your career progression. But also, we know in the chief's mess, right? Uh, back to being an ambassador, you're an ambassador for your rating. You're ambassador for the cheese mess and the Navy, right? So all those organizations take a credibility hit as well, right? Right. And then the guidance could be bad guidance from an ethical perspective, right? Like you had a sinister – so this is Bathsheba syndrome, right? right this is right. 
hey, I'm digging your wife, so I'm going to send you out to battle. And my guidance yeah. to you and advice is to go out and fight this war because you're the best dude to do it. Mm-hmm. And then just so I can spend time with your wife or you get killed, hopefully, and I can take your wife, right? Yeah, so then yeah. you get caught there. You can see where the same thing happens on the character side um, as well. So that's what happens with the guidance piece. Yeah, and I would think like the the – for me, the most dangerous part is these chiefs that think like, especially new ones who's uh, like, that's our audience right now is, is the ones that think they have to like fake it till they make it. Like they think they have to live up to the standard of chiefs are all knowing, all seeing, and they can't be wrong. And all these unattainable standards that aren't real, that for some reason or another, they've come into the mess with the perception of at the beginning. It's okay to say, I don't know. I'll find out. It's, encouraged even (laughs) like it's 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 a thing that i I would expect out of a leader in a position where it's like like if you get to a place where you're constantly saying i don't know i'll find out i don't know i'll find out i don't know i'll find out we got to question your power base of like actually knowing your job like we need to know that you have the expert power in your career field because that's your whole job is taking care of these sailors but it's all built upon the concept that you have that expert power uh, because you're that's why you're the chief so if that's the problem, then we have to question that. But I think a lot of times, yeah, and then and then also remediate it, right? So yeah, there's a, always a danger of them feeling like they have to live up to some unattainable standard and saying things that aren't true, uh, regurgitating tribal knowledge, or yeah. just you know, like making something up on the fly and shooting from the hip. It like ha- it happens all the time during initiation season. You'll yes. hear chief selects shooting from the hip. It's like one of our favorite things to catch them on is like, that's not true. Or you're shooting from the hip. You know, it's just like, it's okay to say, I don't know. I'll find out or take something as a lookup. Like, should it be your answer to everything? No, but like, if it is, there's a huge problem there that we need to remediate. But Uh, like don't find yourself in a position where you're making something up on the fly or or even worse lying uh, because you don't have the answer at that time like it's okay to not have that answer take the look up go get it and then bring it back and competently communicate the answer to that question based on your research or the experience or whatever of someone else that you uh, some expert you consult or or whatever however you decide to to solve that problem yeah, that's the dark side of the mantras, right? So I always say yeah. for every one of these mantras, there's extremes to them, right? So yeah. ask the chief, right? And results, not excuses, right? I could take those, you know, if I misapply those, I could take those to a dark place where I start oh, to yeah. insecurity creeps in, ethical lapses in judgment creep in. Yeah. Frankly, if if you make chief petty officer and you don't know the standards you should be at, I'm like, I, I'm a fan of going to the process that builds that expert power, right? So yeah, you have to invest in it yourself, but there's an advancement system that should validate, right? Right, your <laughs> expert power. So yeah, I would um, hope. maybe that advancement system needs to be expanded to validate and revalidate the expert power of you as a chief when you make senior yeah. chief and mass chief. Yeah. Not mine to decide anymore, but if I had influence, well, I'd be tested that for, and, for eight, nine. Yeah, that and uh, you're validating someone's expert power theoretically, but when you look at quotas sometimes and advancements 100%, like what are they yeah. even taking the exam for? Like, yeah. Clearly, there's a problem here right. that we're yeah. not addressing. a val- It's not really a validation process if we're promoting every single person that passes the exam. Right. Um, I'm with you. 
So the next thing is defining honesty. Uh, so I'll go ahead and do that really quick. So the slide has fairness and straightforwardness of conduct, truthfulness and frankness. And then there's a second definition free from fraud or deception, legitimate and truthful. The first question, does honesty affect good or discipline and how we've already answered that above. So I'm going to yeah. skip that one and go to, uh, can you provide an example of a chief that was dishonest? I mean, I think we've all seen one. I mean, there's For not sure. an example of a chief. I mean, I've seen chiefs. I've seen officers. I mean, look at the Navy times, look at fat yeah, Leonard. That's basically I mean, what I- <laughs> yes, that, that yeah. stuff's out there all the time. We don't need to, Wait, if you yeah, think that, there hasn't been a cheap petty officer that's right. not dishonest, okay. Right, and that was basically what I came up I was like, just look at the cover of the Navy Times. Those are yes. the most egregious examples, of course. Like, there's obviously, like, lower key examples of them, and they span the gamut. Like, I, I mean, I had a buddy that I've talked about on the podcast that was a, he was a senior chief in a position of special trust. They were getting punched in the mouth over and over again with procedural violations and stuff. It was just where they were at at the time. And this poor guy, I mean, he was the type of dude that he wouldn't he would give me the shirt off his back without me having to ask if he thought I needed it. He's a great human being, but he's also a senior chief that in a moment of weakness, because they were getting punched in the mouth every five seconds, somebody came and asked him a question and he answered that like they asked him the status of a system and if it was in this status, it should be in for the step they were in or whatever. And he said, yes, knowing it wasn't true. And knowing that that little white lie would become true as soon as he walked down and flipped a switch really quick and it wasn't it wouldn't affect anything and it wasn't a big deal. And he just didn't want to get punched in the mouth again. And he didn't want his people to get uh, more importantly, the type of guy that he is. He just was like, I can't let my guys get punched in the mouth again. Like we're taking so much so much of a beating. So he did that and then immediately was like. I can't believe I just did that. And then he went and told everybody, Hey, I lied. That wasn't true. We missed a step and blah, blah, blah. So he ended up at captain's mass because he's a senior chief and he violated his integrity. And it's like, it, it ended. I mean, well, I guess we're considering the guys in my mind, sort of a walking, talking saint of a human being, but he also made that mistake Went to captain's mask, got held accountable. I mean, he wasn't demoted because he was a frock senior chief at the time. So that could have happened. Um, yeah. But he was I mean, it's you know, he's not going to promote anytime soon. And he had he wanted to go be a cop. And I like I don't know how that affected his ability to do that. And so there's a lot of like impacts on him as a result. But it's not the, the reason why I love that example is because when you say dishonest, you think sinister. You know what I mean? Like you think yeah. like there's malintent there. And this guy, like he's it was the complete opposite. It came from a really pure place of wanting to take care of his sailors. And I'm sure him being sleep deprived and stressed out played a role. But it's like you can't. He just he caved in. He like gave into that moment of weakness and thought he could just get away with that little white lie. And it's like that's a super slippery slope. So and I think he probably left with more respect as a leader, having done what he did, but then immediately owning up to it and then getting punched in the face at captain's mass. It's like, I mean, he's the kind of guy that the everybody would walk through hell for everybody, right. including like it, all of his guys would have walked through hell for this dude. But it's, you know, he just it, it is what it is. And it had to happen that way. And, and it sucks. But it's not always this like sinister thing it's like human beings being human like it happens yep. <laughs> and, and so chiefs are human to that 
Yeah, I wrote about that, you know, in an mm-hmm. article about nuke power cheating, right? And I'm not advocating yeah. for people cheating and stealing exams and taking confidential material, but I understand the human component to that, right? So in a resource-constrained Navy, when there's a constant and increasing demand signal to do stuff and be ready for mission, right? people are going to take shortcuts, right? And in some cases, the chief is going to be the person, like I mentioned, directing those, right? And they're going to willingly take that risk and play in that gray area. And frankly, I'm okay with that, right? And and yeah, and then you're not going to represent that because you're going to put that top cover on the team. Um, right. And I look at it too about, you know, that's where I get into, don't just hammer the end user, right? The organization should reflect on its role yeah. in- pressurizing that behavior, right? And their loyalty, right? Because you're putting people in a loyalty conundrum at that point. Right. Uh, And like I said, it's really easy to just walk off with, well, you know better. We're on the moral high ground. Well, you should be giving people the resources and the manning they need or reduce the requirements, right? So that's your, you're not being intellectually honest either at the organizational level. Yeah, I think the I'm a turn the mirror on on yourself guy first. Like when something goes wrong, the first thing I'm questioning is leadership's decision making, planning, equipping. Like what it there's yeah. there's a leadership failure here. What was it? And it's not. There's always going to be personal accountability on the person to some degree, whether it's the, a very small degree or a very large degree. That comes out in the wash but the first question i'm asking is were they properly trained were they properly qualified did you give them everything they needed was there proper supervision was there proper planning and execution did everybody have all the things that yeah like you just go on and on and on it's like there is a leadership failure and i'm gonna find it yeah did Um, you meet your own managerial responsibilities yeah to provide the resources that the people need right and if you're not even meeting those you have no moral ethical high ground you know, I mean, to start throwing all these honesty questions around for sure. Uh, so there's a couple other questions I answered and you answered as we went through the dishonest yep. example. So I'm going to go ahead and reread this quote at the bottom of uh, the honest definition slide. It's a quote from the Creed excerpt that we already read, which is the, my favorite one. The exalted position you have now achieved and the word exalted is used advisedly exists because of the attitude and performance of the chiefs before you. So the question is, do we have chiefs who have abused this meaning of the CPO creed? How and why? Yes. And it's, I mean, yeah. just read the Reddit threads. Like I said, I don't know. You know, we've seen it online. We've seen it offline. Yeah. We've seen it in reality. That gets into the coffee cup discussion, right? The whole, you're given privileges, quote unquote, and you're giving resources as a chief petty officer, not because you're special and you were selected right. as a chief, right? You're given those things to help do your job better. Yeah. And to manage towards your responsibilities, right? Yeah. Um, you're given a computer in the office not to sit there and use to your personal benefit. It's so you can manage and plan. It's a tool, right? Right. Or maybe you can give some of that computer time to your sailors, right? Yeah. So absolutely, sure. I don't know to what extent it is. I, I don't know to what extent the chiefs that aren't doing it right are just, that's that point, are totally misrepresenting the broader ill yeah. or the broader group, not ill, but- I don't know. It's it, uh, it's something it, we got to pause and think yeah, about. Yeah, the thing that frustrates me, and you and I have talked about, it, is it's like if if that part of the creed is being abused, what like when do we start questioning why it's in the creed in the first place? Especially yeah. that line, especially yep. that line. Why does the word exalted even appear? And yep. it's that whole that line Let me ask irks you this. me so hard. So 
so as you were going through the do do we even know who wrote the chief petty officer's creed no and i tell everybody all the time well and i i'm it's on my life's to-do list maybe i'll do it today because i have some bandwidth but it's i'm going to contact the navy history and heritage command and try to get them to provide me background on where it came from because i was theorizing i did um credibility of a chief one of the modules of teaching the creed with the nsw tech i've talked to previously and i because i specifically wanted to do credibility with a first class because yep. who questions our credibility the most yeah. is junior sailors. So yep. he was the perfect person to do it too. He was amazing. And I, that's a, it's a great episode, but the, the reason, the thing we talked about the most was the content of the creed. And I told him as I'm reading it, the thing that hits me and I told doc this too, when we were doing his, it sounds like the end of a pretty solid pinning script. You know what I mean? Like it sounds yeah. like something I would hear someone read as just part of the pinning script at a pinning ceremony. And I almost feel like somebody wrote a really great pinning script yes. and somebody found it and was like, yep. man, you know what? We should use that. That's really yep. good. And that's how we, I wouldn't shock me for a second if that's what comes back, if somebody has that data, but I'm going to reach out to the history and heritage command and see if I can get them to dig something up or see if I can find, so they have like a research function on their yeah. website to see if I can find that because when I, we it's went more over of a it, charge, right? It's more of a charge yeah. than it is a creed. A creed is a right. set of beliefs which guide right. actions, and and we have a mission, vision, guiding principles that is really yeah. serves that function. And if you read, so there's a, and, and I can't believe I didn't see this before teaching to the creed showed it to me. So there's definitely I I rag on this <laughs> this uh, lesson plan a lot in certain areas, but there are some really great parts to it. And one of them is the 1918. Blue Jackets manual. Yeah. It's that article. The- I I have a 1916 copy in my office that I read it and I was just like, holy crap, this is amazing. And yeah. and the NSW tech I talked to, he reframed the summary bullets at the very end. And he's like, why isn't this the creed? There's like five summary bullets that summarize that article. And yep. they were outstanding. And the, he just rephrased it really quick as like an I statement or a we statement and as a restating of, hey, this is this is the mess's mission statement. And when he was done, I was just like, I don't that's you got my vote. Like, it yeah. sounds great. It sounds like exactly what I would think would be the CPO creed if I didn't already know what it was. So those five points, it's funny, right? So it's incredible. You know, I put that nineteen eighteen thing. That's at appendix one in the in the chief petty officer's I guide. I love it. And I specifically, I used to pull those five out and put that in the speeches because again, I love them. I that's love the them. that's the earliest written guidance, right? And yeah. that stuff translates. You know, make it he and right. she, and yep. you've got solid guidance. Yep. You know, I and then, it, I was so mad at myself because I've had this nineteen sixteen Blue Jackets manual sitting on a shelf because I collect a lot of stuff. And, yeah. But I was so mad that I didn't flip through it and find that article earlier, like that someone had to show it to me. I was yeah. so mad at myself, but man, it was incredible. I loved, I loved the whole article. I loved the summary bullets framed as a, as a creed. Like it was, it was, it was awesome. Yeah. I, when, when we're talking about this piece in particular, like the, the part that, that I love is it states it a few times in our creed that the, position or that the pre-existing or currently existing level of trust uh, that the mess has and the level of influence that we have, like just by, just by virtue of you walking in the door day one and being a fresh yeah. minted chief, like that baseline level of trust and influence that you have only exists so long as the chiefs that come before you and that currently exists 
do the things they need to to maintain that. Like it's yeah. that line appears more than once, just rephrased in different contexts in the current creed. And that line is probably my favorite favorite part. Is, is like, look, this this thing only works if you're a good steward of it while you're in it, and even even after, like you said, even after you move on. Like I think a guy like you is a great steward of it, having transitioned to civilian life but you're still doing all this amazing stuff for the mess and to develop it and be a catalyst for pushing it forward like you're still attacking that problem to me that's like what we should all be doing even if all even if all we're doing is participating in an honest and nuanced dialogue of what's the problem and how can we fix it absolutely yeah, man. I uh, back to so the second creed that you read right is the retired chief petty officer's creed, <laughs> and guess what it says, right? Yeah, you're still on the rolls. Yep. So yep. I'm still going to work with influence that I've got to keep making sure we don't lose that that legacy and that credibility that's at being challenged. Frankly, yeah, yeah. And so that we're moving on to importance of honesty. So the next question, so they, they list the importance of honesty in the slide deck and then uh, just list some bullets like good order and discipline, trust, perceptions, fairness, equal opportunity for everyone, ability to lead, respect uh, in parentheses, and then teamwork. So just kind of all the things that honesty affects. Uh, and then <laughs> again, it's kind of a very broad question, but understanding the various types of influence as you do very well. And we've, we've covered why is honesty so important? Yeah, so I thought we answered this one in the we whole discussion did, on personal but. power. Yeah, <laughs> man, it yes. asks a lot of the same questions over and over. Like again, I said, but, so if yeah. we didn't, once again, it erodes out your personal power base, yeah, and that yeah. limits the influence tactics that you can select an influence tactic, but it won't have any effect if your personal power base isn't there to support it. Yeah, and I think and your we honesty. Attacked. Yeah. So yeah. what expert power and personal power together get you character and credibility, or character and competence? That's what those two are also called. Yeah. They give you credibility and credibility is the foundation to trust. And with trust, then you build buy-in and you can take your team to higher stuff. So if you do anything to erode competence or character, credibility goes down, right? Trust goes down. So mm-hmm. that's how it all plays out. Yeah. And and that was kind of, well, the next question we've already attacked and I think answered well was what happens when honesty falls short, either reality or perception. So we talked about that. Yep thing where it's like i think perception is almost more important than reality because a lot of the times junior sailors perceive us to be untrustworthy or perceive us to be hiding truths and sweeping stuff under the rug when we really aren't but it's if they perceive that to be a problem and we don't act on it we're still saddled with the consequences of it so we still have to one of the big challenges right this is one of the themes right they think it's a good old boy club a mafia yeah yeah you're just behind the closed doors of the mess so that privilege and that space you've been given is actually it's signaling dishonesty in a way, right? It's, it's signaling something that's pushing sailors away and it's lowering. So just like people have power bases, organizations do too, right? So yeah. go across the Navy chiefs mess, Navy chiefs personal power is in question right now and their expert power, right? So yeah. that's what's happening. And what happens is, you see this in politics, right? So if I want to reduce your influence success, right? So if I'm competing to be the president, what do I do? What do those ads do? They attack, just watch them. They attack character yeah. and competence, right? right? So each sailor that gets on Reddit or gets on social media or talks to another sailor and attacks your competence or credibility, whether it's perceived or real, yeah, is eroding trust in the cheese mess, right? right. And each chief petty officer- 
that visibly falls short and does it erodes credibility in the cheese mess. So that's what's happening. Right. So the moving on. So the command mission and Navy impact, uh, it's going to affect a lot of the same things. And one of the questions is, how does one's ability to influence sailors affect the command, the mission of the Navy as a whole? I, th- I think we've answered that too, but we have the, yeah, the, a lot of these questions just repeat and repeat. Um, yeah, so yeah. like it, it's pretty obvious the way that it affects them and it, yeah. yeah. So we'll just move on. Uh, the, what is the result if the entire CPO mess is not working together to maintain actual and perceived honesty? I thought this was actually a pretty decent question. So I'll let you attack it first and then. So we'll discuss it. honesty of the individual chief, is that what we're talking about? So it says, what is the result if the entire mess is not working together to maintain actual and perceived honesty? Okay. So I'm going to go of the individual chief and the cheese mess, right? So this is that piece about, I talk in the chapter on the cheese mess and the importance of it, right? So it's not just being able to, cheese mess does several things, right? So number one, they work together to align standards and maintain good order and discipline across the command. So to your earlier point about every chief, every sailor's yours, every officer's yours, every space is yours, right? All the behaviors and the standards on the ship, every chief owns those across regardless, right? So they should work together to make sure those kind of things happen. And then they also work to de-conflict across command barriers, right? And collaborate to make sure command-wide evolutions and events happen, right? That's another point. And then another thing they do is this body of self-accountability, right? So each chief should hold the other accountable to the standards, right, of character and competence we've talked about, right? So if they can't or won't do that, again, all it does is erodes the credibility of the broader cheese mess. So, yeah, and then in turn, the influence drops, and then you got cheese messes that are just leading from a limited set of influence tactics, relying heavily on positional power and, and pressure tactics and legitimizing ones. Yeah, and I don't even know that you ever can't do it so much as that there needs to be a culture where it's encouraged and allowed, you know, like where, where you're in a mess where you're the most junior chief in the room. And when you walk in, like you ha- all have a voice, but you're not necessarily on equal footing, meaning yeah. that they're the, the people that have been around for a while, even if they're also an E seven, like as in they're the same pay grade as you, yeah. Not that stupid, like you're not new seven or you're not chief, you're new seven. Yes. That's not what I'm talking yeah. about. I'm talking about you're just the same pay grade, but that chief has been doing it for a very long time and they're on their second LCPO tour or whatever. They have a lot to teach you and they have a lot yes. of, of, based on that experience, there's a lot of ways in which they're going to hold you accountable with peer to peer enforcement of what the organizational standards are, what the the peer group standards are, what the things you should be doing as a chief, blah, 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 like the expectations they're going to hold you accountable to those things and you should be ready and willing to receive because you have a lot to learn and because they have the ability to pass those lessons on. Like yep. it should be your organization and mess should be structured in a way that encourages that. A lot of times they're not, I feel like where I've been in messes where it's just like they, as soon as the mess door closes, everybody's equal. I'm like, yeah. So like, that's the whole challenge of the, yeah. I call it the brother sister mentality. Yeah, right? yeah. Oh, Hey brother, sister. It's like, yeah. okay. Cause I think what that does, it's, it, it kind of, it serves as, or it's, it's meant to soften that, uh, that distinction in pay grades. Right. right but no, right. 
no. the pay grade distinctions. <laughs> I mean, if if we don't want to hold each other, if a senior no. chief doesn't have more authority, accountability over running other chiefs and mass chiefs, then why then do we let's have just get chiefs? rid of them? Right. Yeah, let's go back do, to yeah. all being E seven. Right. And even then, guaranteed. To your point, those E sevens that you know had years of service were running herd over the rest. Right. So that's how it, that's how it's got to be, and that doesn't mean run around the chiefs mess like an animal. Right. Right, um, right. There's a way to handle that. Right. And there's a approach and there's tact and there's humility. Right. But I always made the assumption that someone in the mess knows when someone in the mess is up to no good. Someone knows that For behavior's sure. off. They know when they're too cozy with the female help. Yeah. They know almost when, always. Yeah. The drinking is a little off. They know yeah. when something's off professionally or personally. So it's like just from a caring perspective as a fellow human being and as, Back to ambassador as an ambassador of the cheese mess, protecting the cheese mess legacy and reputation. You have a responsibility to engage that. Yeah, for sure. And as far as the result of actually not dealing with the actual or perceived problems with honesty, I, the other thing I, I go, I always go back to. There is a gulf in trust right now, and I think we both perceive that to be happening. I think a lot of chiefs perceive that to be happening because a lot of them contact me and tell me that that's how they feel about it and that what we talk about on the podcast resonates. But the mess is being more demonized and and the trust is a constant thing that's attacked by the sailors as they're criticizing. It's like they just can't trust you because you do all these things. And here's all these examples of why I can't trust you. So... I think one of the, the biggest reasons that exists is because the chiefs in the organization don't believe that that's a problem. They're like, nah, that's we're not actually doing that. It's like, well, yeah. the sailors perceive that to be real. So it's real. So you have to combat those things because our our inaction and our just sitting there pleading like almost ignorance, like we're just like, ah, oh, no, that's not real. That's not actually a problem. Us just sitting there and not dealing with the problems, allowing it to fester and just making the making it worse and worse and worse where the distrust junior sailors have for the chiefs mess is growing and it's killing us slowly and it's driving me absolutely nuts. When you believe in your own juice a little too much, right? It's easy to dismiss everyone's opinion at your own peril, frankly. Right. Uh, Next question is what is the most effective types of influence? I think we've already tacked this with the leadership styles discussion and the, and that you should be leveraging every, every influence tactic that you can based on the power bases you have. And you always start, I got them listed in the Chief Petty Officer's Guide in order, and I read them in order one through nine, mm-hmm. right? So you start with the ones on the top, right? Yeah. There's Those are validated to be the most successful. And frankly, you can use them in all directions, right? Leading up, down, and across. As you work down that list, right? So when I get to pressure or legitimizing tactics, you'll see that who you can use those on starts to change, right? So very rarely are you going to go to a fellow chief petty officer and go, well, I'm a chief petty officer of the United States, do it, right? Yeah. You're not going to go to your commanding officer and go, I'm a chief petty officer of the United States, do it, right? Yeah. yeah. You're not going to apply pressure to your boss. Right. You could, right, if they're doing some illegal, unethical stuff because you've got tools, right? You can go, you know, threaten them with an IG complaint or- for sure. Grievance, right? So there's some of those, but my point is the the ones that- that have the biggest impact are the ones at the top, right? Rational persuasion, inspirational appeals, ingratiation, those kind of things. So if people want to know about those, they need to read about them and understand them and then be able to watch examples. I, I It sounds silly, but watch examples on TV of how those things play out, right? That Those are good because sometimes you won't see all these interactions happening day to day, but there's great examples of inspirational appeals and 
you know, use of different influence tactics if you watch certain shows. Yeah. Uh, the I think we answered how does the lapse in honesty and the chief's mess affect the survivability of it. I think we just answered that with the, yeah. the last question that we talked about. With so I don't the, think if it, you have. Yeah, I don't think it affects the survivability. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to disband the chief's mess. They're talking, it affects, they talked about it. Their young man wrote a, an op ed. I mean, I don't think anybody's seriously considering it, but they I mean, yeah. there was a kid that said, hey, vice CNO, like fix yeah. this. And it's it's been openly discussed on Reddit. So it's again, I mean, it's like these are junior sailors that that are discussing it and like, why do we even need this and blah, blah, blah. But I think they're more discussing it through the lens of us behaving and looking and acting more like NCOs from other services, which yeah. I, I think they're you, I, I read survivability of the mess in like in its current iteration with the the pirate sticker mentality and the OK, I got you. Yeah, so separations and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, because that's another podcast episode, but I'm with yeah, you for I sure. Could, you could easily <laughs> talk me off of, you know, yeah. I mean, um, no other services built. Frankly, of all the services, the Navy is the most segregated right not right. just you know and i'm not talking by race color creed i'm talking by yeah. class right so yeah. we are a caste system mm-hmm. and we we basically i mean if you want to think about it right cheese mess could be thought of a third caste system right now right you got the wardroom yeah. you got the cheese mess and and the them yeah right that's not good right so yeah. that's again to my point about who do you align with right and i got it you're a linchpin in the chain of command but that balance of loyalties. And I think the sales are telling us that balance is off. Right. I agree. I think it's, I think there's a lot of indicators that are, are pointing at the survivability of it in its current mo- current model is yep. probably not the right answer. Like, like there's things that need to change and there's a whole lot of demand signal for that for a lot of reasons, including those lapses in honesty. So um, that's over to the current group of force fleet, Mass chiefs and the McCon to figure out. Yep. The last question is, and it's really, this is probably more for the selects, but I mean, of course, we can always get better as leaders. So between me and you, in terms of influence, what do you need to work on to support the chief's mess, the command, the mission, the Navy, and in your, or in your case, like USNI and the things that you're doing? Obviously, you're still supporting the chief's mess, but like, what do you think you need to work on the most? So I guess for me, it's and it's funny because I was just thinking about this today. Um, we generate a lot of content. I've been working to build a lot of awareness of what it does. I think people are aware. So personally, I'm learning. Am I getting the reach I need to get? And right. I need feedback on that, right? I'm always – because you know, social media, I've relied heavily on that, especially with COVID going on. But it's like right. you know, the pipe is controlled by who's – You know, I know it doesn't get the reach it needs to get. But I want to start generating like today I just pulled an old podcast out that uh, a petty officer did about, you know, improving maintenance culture, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Because I'm still connected. I still have conversation. I know there's manning, there's pressure in the fleet with manning and all these challenges. Your podcast right. informs me a lot. So I'm like, okay, how can I use the reach and the form of the Naval Institute to help people get that voice? How can I dial up the volume on conversations? How can I use the forum? So if we're going to talk Manning, there's a lot of articles out there. Yeah. But hey, articles are great, but how do I use maybe the podcast with digital spread, right? And my own personal connection power to do that at the same time, right? Sometimes I'm going to have to challenge some of the senior, not just officer, but senior enlisted leadership of the Navy, right? So then that puts me at risk, right? Because then- 
I'm in a position right now where I rely on them to help me spread the word, right? But if you yeah, become yeah. adversarial, so there's a balance there, right? Yeah, to where yeah. It's a, it's a loyalty challenge for me, right? Where do my loyalties lie, right? Yeah. Um, and even after when I was Fleet Mass Chief, Fitzgerald McCain collisions, right? I was the Fleet Forces Fleet Mass Chief. We were the Manning Control Authority, and I had to pause and go, okay, what's my role, responsibility in all that? Right. You know what I mean? Right. Where did I fail to get in this conversation? So that's where I think I need to continue to work is, hey, I'm here. I'm available. If people want to write, you know, I got to at least get you to write something to get you on a podcast. And once I get you on the podcast, then I can work with my connection power and guys like yeah. you to socialize it. So I think that's where I'm at the most, right? And then I yeah. still got to keep my connection personal power base strong, right? So when yeah. you know, when new mass new command masters are selected and the leadership mass and stuff like that is replenishing them and making sure that cuz Fleet Master Chief Chuck Clark used to say, you know, the shelf life of seawater is 5 years, right? So as soon as I retired, my relevance started <laughs> But I try to keep it through not just this yeah. or the or the proceedings, but through the Cutlass podcast. I think the things I talk about transcend generations, authoring relevant, you know, the petty officer guide is going to come out. So, you know, that's a way that I can get these thoughts in shaping what will be future generations of chief petty officers, right? And then I'm more than willing to come in and have these conversations. Yeah. So that's my personal take on the influence piece. Yeah, I'm I th- weirdly because you would think that I'm pretty good at it because of what I do and I'm dragging people on the podcast all the time. But I think like network power for me has always been a challenge. I'm I'm not great at just cold calling people or like putting yeah. myself in a position to create a relationship out of thin air. Like most of the people I know, it's like I've. I've been connected with them through someone else or I've just kind of through like happenstance, like met them or they reached out to me. And it's kind of this weird dynamic because I'm not I'm just not good at it. I'm like, I there's just some imposter syndrome in there where I feel like I'm not oh, they're not going to they're not going to want to talk to me like or like yeah. uh, they don't care who I am or they don't want to, you know, associate with this little rinky dink podcast or or whatever. And and it's I don't know, like because even with you, like I probably wouldn't reach out to you if I hadn't been put in contact with you by someone. So it's like maybe eventually yeah, well, I, I try to get a hold of you. Right. I was like, yeah, hey, who's yeah. this D guts guy? Right. Because he talks yeah. standards. Right. That connected us. But yeah. um, I think you and I are like that way. Right. So I will. So one of the things you can do is right with position gives you access to influence targets, right? Your position right. power. Um, and it doesn't have to be formal, right? So you have yeah. a lot of inform, you know, through your podcast, you've given yourself position power. Now, like me, right? You can undervalue that position too, right? So you don't yeah. want to overvalue it and get hubris <laughs> and get cocky. Yeah, yeah. But if you, if you undervalue it, then you limit the influence that you can use and the access to people that you can use. Not for, I think we all know, at least people that know you and have heard you, this isn't about you, right? right. Um, this is about trying to make things better. But at some point, you got to promote you too. You know what I mean? Yeah. To make sure that you can, that's another your thing. promotion of you, <laughs> you can help other a, people. That's another thing I have a hard time doing, but I, I, I understand it's inevitable that my face probably ends up on this. And I, I like, it's, it's the risk. I kind of learned it from, uh, I don't know if you know, Grant Khan, the, at the NC chief that's always out there doing mental health awareness stuff, but okay, I found him through Reddit because that's where the junior sailors are. So that's where he went. And, and he put himself out there in a way that at first I was turned off by, but 
then when I talked to him, I understood that he's like, okay, he wants him. He wants to make himself a target so that he's he's as out there and exposed as possible so that junior sailors can't not know him and can't not know that he's a resource to reach out to. That is not like a formal Navy thing where they're worried about losing their clearance or they're worried about some kind of like repercussions or something like He's just, and he's established this reputation of like he puts his cell phone number on Reddit. He's like, I will pay for your cab so you can get home safe or I will yeah. do whatever I need to do to take care of you guys. And it's just like he's created this thing where he had and it wouldn't have been created any other way if he hadn't exposed himself the way that he he did. Yeah. And I and I, I don't know that it'll ever be to the degree that he did based because his thing was kind of unique to what he was doing. But he also kind of told me, he's like, eventually you're going to have to put yourself out there to grow this thing, to like get the, get it to the place that you need it to be. And I'm like, I, yeah, I kind of get that, but yep. I, I th- I'll probably do it differently. I don't think my name will ever appear on it. Um, I, I think I'll become a lot looser with that as far as like I, I when I retire, I won't really care if people know it's me, but I'm not going to promote me as an individual like because who cares what my name is like my name's yeah. d guts like it's a whatever like you, you can call me senior but like it's it doesn't matter what my name is it's not relevant to what we're talking about so i don't need to make it about me as an individual because this is yeah. a project where i've had help from so many people uh, to know. make it valuable so that's the funny thing with the the chief petty officer's guide, right? So it wasn't like Paul Kingsbury stood up and said, "Hey, I'm going to write a chief petty officer's guide" because I right, know it, right? right? I was approached by the Naval Institute because they wanted to. That book was published under their press, so it's a Naval Institute product. Right. So I'm like, okay, I'm passionate about this. I'm, I think I'm relatively dialed in, and I think have something to offer. So, and they know I'm a retired fleet mass chief, so that brings again some credibility to it. So right. from that perspective, yeah, I want the book out there in a the cell because I believe in it. And frankly, on behalf of the Naval Institute who's invested in not just these, but the Blue Jackets manual. And a, right. I mean, that's one of the mission sets is to provide this information to make the Naval profession better. So something like that. Initially, I struggled with like, oh, I don't want to be out there, but I'm like, no, if I don't talk about it and raise awareness, no one will. And then yeah. Yeah. the information doesn't get out there. Same thing with the podcast, right? I think the people that through my connection power, at least on cut lists, right? I can get some access to some, I hope, cool perspectives and stuff that I think yeah. people would want to hear about. And of course, you know, I use my reputation and stuff, hopefully, to promote that. But again, back to power bases, right? So they're gonna, they may give me a nod, right, coming in the door, right? Like, okay, hey, you know, retired fleet master Kingsbury got this yeah. podcast. Let me listen. But if I don't deliver, right, boom, they're out. Yep. Right. So <laughs> if I don't show character, competence, or some kind of uh, whiff them for the listener, yeah. Um, you know, just like ours. I think that's our biggest struggle. Yeah. Well, that's it, man. I'll summarize right. separately. Uh, I appreciate your time uh, and, and you coming on and doing this because it was you're the perfect person for influence. Yes. Man. I knew it would be good. And I and people have in the past responded really positively to the different power bases and influence tactics being explained. Okay. So- that's it. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, I, I always love talking to Paul, um, but he is so knowledgeable on influence tactics and power bases uh that it was he was the not only the obvious choice but he's an expert he's very gifted and at navigating these topics and explaining them in depth and obviously has a ton of experience with them in and out of the navy so uh, i was really really glad that he was willing to do this and i think it 
created a really great product that will help build on uh, the lesson that's facilitated wherever all you chief selects are. So I hope you guys got a lot of that. Uh, like always, I'm going to recap the uh, excerpt from the creed that we use for this lesson for influence and honesty. It is required that you be the fountain of wisdom, the ambassador of goodwill, the authority in personal relations, as well as in technical applications. Ask the chief is a household phrase in and out of the Navy. You are now the chief. The exalted position you have achieved and the word exalted is used advisedly exists because the service, character, and performance of the chiefs before you. It shall exist only as long as you and your fellow chiefs maintain these standards. This is the one we did. Uh, it's the same excerpt from the from the last lesson as well. And, and again, like when I read through that phrase, uh, that excerpt, the phrase at the end, it shall exist only as long as you and your fellow chiefs maintain these standards is the part that I always key in on. And it's because it's up to us. It's up to us for any of these things to survive collectively as a group we need to maintain those standards we need to function in a way that we want our future leaders to that we want our junior sailors to that we want the organization to wholly like the the direction that we want it to go in which is dictated to us by strategy and by the culture of the organization but we we have a say in that we're part of that discussion the only way that we're an organization that gets to be a part of that discussion and why we're respected in the way that we are so that we can is that we are good stewards of our mess and all of the things that go along with that. So uh, with that, if you need anything from us, hit us up. Don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message us. Don't give up the ship podcast. Or you can DM us on Instagram or Reddit uh, at DGS podcast. Let us know what you think. Get on the sub uh, and discuss it on the message board on Reddit. But in any way that you can or are willing to, please provide feedback uh, or comments, questions, concerns, anything. Uh, just reach out to us and discuss those things. And also, if you would be so kind, uh, like, share, subscribe, review on all the platforms for all the things for podcasts and social media. It really helps us get the word out uh, and leverages the algorithms that exist on those platforms to help kind of propel the the podcast up on everybody's feed that, that needs it. Uh, and so we really appreciate it if you can do that. And with that, that's it. That's what I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening and don't give up the ship. 